They are not there to steal your fun from driving. Now, maybe there's some temporary guardrails or barriers with all the construction that goes on. It's going like, I need that exit. Why can't I go there? But the permanent guardrails are put there so that you can be directed in a certain manner in case you happen to go off the road there and to protect you from something that's even of greater danger. That's why we said guardrails are placed in a particular spot that we don't think about, but they are placed in the safety zone, not in the danger zone. You don't want to go over the cliff. That's danger. You want to stay on the road and be free to drive down the highway or cruise down the highway, however you do it. And you do not want to fall into danger. So they're placed inside the safety zone. That's a key aspect of guardrails. They are designed to minimize damage. I won't ask for the raise of hands. I gave reference to it last week. But how many of you have hit a guardrail before, right? And you hit a guardrail, there's going to be some damage, but it's minimal compared to what would have happened if the guardrail wasn't there. And uh, you're most likely going to get out of your car. You're going to walk around. You're going to shake it off a little bit. But you're grateful that the guardrail was there. But why are we talking about guardrails? It's not a highway crew meeting. We're talking about guardrails because the highway isn't the only place that you and I need guardrails in life. In fact, this whole series of these weeks, we're discussing matters that uh, in many ways are, are not um, considered worthwhile in a culture in which we live. I want to define for you what a guardrail is related to our personal guardrails. It's this. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Now, a guardrail is not like, oh, that's the sin or, you know, whatever the danger is on the side. A guardrail is there for our protection and to direct us. And so it's sort of like a personal rule or a guideline that we've established in our life. It's a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience where it's like, oh, you bump up against it. Oh, that's right. I need to stay clear from that because if I keep pressing that direction, there's danger in the danger zone on the other side. I want to stay in the safety side. So it's a personal rule or a a matter of conscience. Now, it may differ from one person to another in this regard, all right? But the guardrail is what you establish because you know you. At least you should know you, right? And you're going to establish those guardrails for your protection, for your joy, for your freedom, for the fullness of life that God intended for you to have. But you need to know this, that culture doesn't encourage guardrails. Culture just says, you go at it, you have fun, you do whatever, it doesn't matter. Just freedom. Freedom in our culture is lawlessness in many ways. And lawlessness without guidelines and protections will end, lead us to be in places that we do not want to go. So culture doesn't encourage guidelines. Culture is content with mere painted lines. And so, oh, well, here's a good suggestion. We looked at a few last week, right? You know, hey, drink responsibly. Well, what does that mean? Or with sex, wait until you're ready, right? Or in finances, the whole aspect of, you know, consolidate debt. Well, that's sort of nice. But they're not really guardrails. And the guardrails that we need need to be much more than a painted line. Because a lot of us, as we know in our driving, we really don't adhere to painted lines all that much, Right? But the guardrails are going to be in all areas of our life. Relational areas, financial areas, professional areas, and moral areas. And that's sort of what we're talking about today. We're taking on a a pretty significant subject matter. One that uh, we don't take on all that much in churches, but we should. Because culture is not communicating any type of appropriate guardrails that lead us into what God intends for us to have. 
we're going to talk about fidelity. Have you ever heard the word fidelity? What does the word fidelity mean? It's actually a Latin word, and it's the Latin word for faithful or loyal. Faithful and loyal. And we're talking about marriage. We're talking about how to have appropriate guardrails to protect fidelity in marriage. And if you're not married, how to have appropriate guardrails that will lead you to a place of enjoying what God intended for us to have in our marriages and to enjoy the fidelity that he's called us to. So guardrails, that's where we're at. Heavy subject matter. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I don't speak on it that much in front of people like you. But I walked in here (laughs) this morning. I'm like, really, God, do I have to talk on the guardrails of morality and fidelity and how to? He's like, yep. And you know why? It's because we're seeing an awful lot of busted relationships all over the place. Busted marriages in churches. And it comes down to the lack of some appropriate guidance and guardrails in this area for us to be able to live by and to enjoy all that God intended. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, 1 Corinthians 6.18, the Apostle Paul has some direct words to those who are in Corinth. And he simply says this, flee from sexual immorality. Now, Corinth was a city in Greece, been there, the ruins are still there, and Paul had visited there a couple times, and he had spoken to them about how they needed to be living out their faith, and what was appropriate, what was not. And so when he wrote to the Corinthians, the first Corinthian letter, he's reminding them of what he said when he was there. And they're living in a culture that didn't have a lot of real guardrails or guidelines and anything. But he understood something that we're going to unpack today. And that's this whole understanding that sexuality is given and comes from God himself. And so he makes the statement clearly and boldly, flee from sexual immorality. Now that exhortation is what every husband hopes that his wife would obey. And every wife would hope that her husband would obey. And every friend would hope their good friend would obey. And every big brother would hope that their little sister would obey. It's an exhortation to stay clear from that which can bring destruction. Now, if this is adhered to the fleeing, think and imagine how things could change in our culture in our community, in our valley, in our state, in our nation. There would be fewer domestic abuse cases. There would be fewer unwanted pregnancies. There would be uh, less tendency to, uh, to find foster kids not having accommodations of family in life. There would be fewer little boys and little girls that would grow up without a mom or a dad in a home. Think about the carnage that follows on the heel of not obeying this instruction that the Apostle Paul gives. Flee from sexual immorality. You can do two things. You can flee from it or you can flirt with it. Now, here's the thing in our culture. Our culture doesn't establish kind of guidelines. In fact, our culture, is, it sort of does a baiting and then a, a shaming thing in this area more than any others. Because the media that we watch, the music that we listen to, or the movies we go see, what are they telling us? They're telling us, Flirt with sexual immorality. That's where the fun is. The coolness is. In fact, we're sort of complicit in this because when it comes to media, music, and movies, we've sort of, you know, we've indulged ourselves and, and we sort of laugh at this or that. And, and then we, uh, you know, we step back and go, well, I know that's not really right, but it made for a good movie or that kind of thing. 
And so we're complicit a little bit because we participate in it. But then when someone crosses that line and you find out there's an affair going on with one of your friends, uh, you, you just, uh, shame comes, an exhortation of, that's terrible, I can't believe they did that. But then you're like, well, we live in a culture that does, uh, that just propagates it all over the place. And so we have all this carnage that happens, but yet we joke and we laugh about it. Some of you um, are familiar with the author of Anne um, Van Camp, and she um, said this statement, boys will be boys. If boys will be boys, then girls will be garbage. And that is not the heart of God. We don't laugh it off. If we're serious about understanding God's intent and purpose. And I can't shy away from speaking about it as your friend and a sojourner, as a human being, and a pastor in life. We cannot allow the adversary to continue to bring the destruction into homes and the family unit. It's his primary target. And through our culture... It's insinuated to have loose morals. It's just okay. Everybody's doing it. It's the way that our world is today. In fact, there's almost a, the reason there's some of the hesitation on my part is like, oh, wow. In fact, uh, I was just texting somebody that's praying for me this morning, and he said, well, get ready to offend half the people, Carrie. I'm going, yeah, probably right. But I want you to hang with me on this. It was a journey in my young adult years. It continues to be a journey as a married man. And even as you grow older, there's still the temptations and the need to have appropriate guardrails in the area of sexuality. I was 29 when I got married. And by God's grace, I was a virgin when I got married. And my wife and I have enjoyed that relationship of marriage of only having been with one person. I may be an oddball. I understand that. And this whole subject matter is delicate, not only because it's not spoken about and there's wishy-washiness on it, but because there's a lot of hurt and pain and harm that's been done in this very room because someone... Someone that you knew never appropriately heeded this advice to flee sexual morality. Or maybe you fell into that area and God's grace is sufficient and His strength is there to bring healing into it. But fleeing sexual morality is a simple exhortation that we all need to keep front and center. Because it's a danger zone that can happen at any moment, really, at any time. I'm always reminded that King David of the Old Testament, greatest king, David fell at his peak. And he fell with the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. When he looked across at the rooftop and he took into his heart the desire to have another woman. All kinds of brokenness came from that. And so we may think, oh, I'm past that. You're not. David fell at his peak. Carrie can fall at his peak. Carrie needs guardrails. You need guardrails. I can't impose on you what those guardrails are, but friends, sexual immorality will lead to many destructive things. And God knows it. And that's why I exhorted Paul to state this and to tell the Corinthians that they, you remember what I said when I was there, flee from sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea, from which you get the word pornography, right? Pornea. And it's at different places, and sexual immorality is not just referring to sex outside of marriage or premarital sex. It's really a, a whole gamut of immorality that Paul says, flee from this. Be mindful that this can bring destruction into your very lives and into, our, into mine. 
And so he goes on and he exhorts it with this. All other sins. All other sins. Now, he's categorizing it. There's a lot of sins. I mean, we can fall into all kinds of sins. In fact, you know, if you were to take one of the places where the exhortation on fleeing sexual immorality is listed, I'll list it for you. Uh, places like 1 Corinthians 7, 2, 2 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Um, this says this in Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. What a list, huh? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul says something here. He says, flee from pornea, from sexual immorality, because all other sins. And so he's thinking about all these other sins that, that we can fall into. And, and whether it's the, the sin of lying or the, the sin of um, uh, you know, uh, corruption and, and some kind of dimension uh, professionally, other kinds of things, or say you, you know, you got a DUI or something like that, all these other sins that you're thinking, oh yeah, I, I fell in those, all these other sins are in one sense different. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And he's getting at something here that's very profound. Because, you know, there's, there's a ton of forgiveness that comes. It's not, it's not the issue of forgiveness in there. Forgiveness can come for all sins. But there's something that happens with sexual sin that, well, simply put, sexual sin can end up keeping, making you a liar and a secret keeper the rest of your life. You may, hey, yeah, at 22, I had the DUI, or yeah, I fell into this financial debt problem because of irresponsibility. And, but, you know, we pull back, and there's many people in relationships and marriages that, have, that they've never, like, fully disclosed their sexual history. And you get into the relationship, and like, oh, all this stuff starts flying. You're like, my goodness, what do we do with this? And, and where does it go from this? Sexual immorality is a sin that can be deep deep within the very being and some of you carry that heaviness this morning and i just want to encourage you before it's like oh my god he's going to hammer us up there and those kinds of things no god's grace is sufficient to forgive but friends it's hard to forget the issues and the circumstances of sexual morality Scars that people carry from other people, not fleeing, but flirting. Scars that you may carry because you flirted and you did not flee. You know, the middle school kids, they go out to have their own study time. It doesn't sound like that right now. They always do a game beforehand. But don't you want sexual purity and fulfillment for every one of those middle school kids as they grow up? Then it would do us good to be mindful of the guardrails that we need to not only protect our own life, that's a sin of the body, but to protect their life as well and to set them an example don't give up the moral authority that you have been given in christ to be able to speak to the next generation to be able to speak to your kids did you fall did you mess up sure that can be a part of your story and god's grace but our kids today need us to uphold this exhortation to flee from sexual immorality and we need to be talking about it with our kids and it needs to be a subject matter that is yeah it's awkward when you talk about oh, the mechanics of it or this and it, it's just talk in generality healthy sexuality how did god intend for healthy sexuality to unfold and to be a part of our life
I trust that sexual sin will not make you a liar and a secret keeper the rest of your life. Sin can simply be defined in the New Testament this way, is that whenever there is a hurting, a stealing from, or a dishonoring of another person, that is sin. And so many times sexual enticement becomes about us. Or then we move, oh, it's, it's about us as a couple and building intimacy, sex before marriage, whatever. And, and we have all these kinds of excuses. But friends, God intended, and I'll just be very clear about this. Scripture is very clear about it. I'm not going to go to the passages. But God intended for sex to be experienced in the once in a lifetime forever covenant relationship of marriage. That's where he placed it. And he placed it there for a purpose. And it was a purpose for our enjoyment. It was a purpose for our intimacy and our companionship. It was a purpose for the fulfillment of, of godly families moving down the road. God is not a killjoy when it comes with sex. Friends, believe it or not, God created sex. Maybe you're new to the church and you're going, wow, this is really an interesting subject. You came on the right day talking about sex. But there was a time when it didn't exist and God created sex. In fact, can you picture him in heaven somehow going, you know, man, I got a really good idea. And the angels go, what is it? What is it? And he goes, yeah, you'll never understand it. But man, you're going to be jealous with it. Here we go. God created sex. Would it not make sense that God knew how all that needed to work and function? He's not a killjoy. He doesn't come and draw these lines, these lines, and say, there. It's my day to be mean. Don't cross those lines. I gave you those passions and urges just to mess with you. No. He gave the passes and the urges for us to be fulfilled sexually in His plan and His purpose. Sex is intended to be inside the covenant vow Lifelong covenant vow of marriage. So, if that's the case, then we need to just adhere to this again. And you may disagree with it. If you're on the outside looking in, that's fine. Especially if you're not a Christ follower today. That's cool. But you should know this. That God created this beautiful thing called sex and sexuality for us to enjoy in the confines of it. But anything outside of that is sin. And premarital sex is sin. I said it. Because the world's not saying it. It used to say it when I was younger. It was one of the things that, you know, yeah, that's not right. And taught in churches, youth groups, whatever. And I praise God that he helped me walk a road. I wasn't perfect in every relationship I had. But that sanctity of that being given to my spouse on the wedding night was there. And if you cross that line, then recommit back to that line as God enables and empowers you. And you need to have guardrails. This isn't about God's forgiveness. God can forgive, yes. But what we're here today to tell you about is you live in a culture that does not communicate that. Does not understand the beauty of what God intended for sexuality to be. And so they may paint a few lines, but they're not going to have guardrails. Where are you going to hear it at? You probably are going to need to hear it here. So there, premarital sex is wrong. Now, is it any worse than other kinds of sins? No. All kinds of sins. But this is saying that the sexual immorality sin is, a, of all other sins a person commits, they're outside the body. But this one, this sin, whoever sins sexually is sinning in a way, in a measure that is hard to get past sometimes. And it's not just because of the dangers of sexuality. Wow, there could be unwanted pregnancy. There could be, uh, you know, uh, sexually transmitted diseases or other kinds. Of, all, all that, yes. And you stay clear from it. But the greater reason that it's a sin is because it can hurt, steal from and dishonor other people. 
You know, I, I, one of the stories I carried with me, I think it's a true story through the years, was a guy who was a football player, and he was running down a beach, and a guy was coming across his path, and on his shirt it, it had stamp out virginity. The football player, hey, stop, causes the guy to stop, and he says, take off your shirt. All right, took his shirt off. Give it to me. Gave it to him. Holds it up. Stamp out virginity. Wads it back up. Puts it in the guy's hand and it says, why don't you give this shirt to your daughter when she's 16 years old? Whatever can hurt, steal from, or dishonor another person in this is powerful in how it's done. And sex itself inside of marriage is to be protected and cherished and not to be an abusive thing or a demanding thing. I want my way in this. God did not intend for sexuality to be something that you get. It's something that you give and you mutually enjoy in the intimacy of a lifelong covenant relationship. And there's respect one to another within that covenant marriage. And definitely extramarital sex is wrong. Affairs are wrong. In our culture today, painted lines everywhere. When I grew up, homosexuality was, that was definitely on the other side. Today, it's like, oh, experimentation. Even in our school sex education classes, Things are being taught that you would cringe about as a parent, probably, if you fully knew. And the talk among the peers. I remember some of the words that I heard from my kids coming back. I'm like, really? That's an awful lot of pressure. Just painted lines. We need to walk down a path that is upholding the beauty and the perfection of what God intended. And so we talk about the need for us to flee from sexual immorality. Paul goes on and he says this, Do you not know? Do you not know? Now, here's, uh, he's spoken to them before, and it's like, hey, remember. Remember what I said. Do you not know? Do you not know something that's really important? You, you ever been enlightened about something you didn't know, and then the light bulb went off and went, wow, I didn't know that. Well, in this whole area of sexual fulfillment and God's purpose, there's some woes in it. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, if you're on the outside looking in and you're not a Christ follower, I understand this wouldn't apply, uh, apply to you and those kinds of things. But those who have chosen to be a Christ follower, if you're in that camp this morning, you've chosen to allow the Spirit of Jesus Christ to come into your life. His spirit to dwell in your spirit for you to move forward in obedience to him and fulfillment of his plans and purposes of life. And so God brought his spirit to live within us. And when that happens, then we become the temples of God. And so to just forget that fact as we go about our lives... Is cringeworthy. Oh, now we you know what's temples today. Is this a temple, whatever. A temple was a sacred place. And maybe you've gone to a temple before, a holy shrine. But it's sacred. It's sacred because of the presence and the fullness of God who is in that place. And so Paul said, do you not know? Have you not thought through this? Your bodies, they're, they're a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God. So, hey... Wake up. Think about this. Think about this. <laughs> he says this, then he says, as it relates to the sacred image bearer, 
you and I have his presence within us. And for people to see God, they need to see God in us and how we live and how we use those bodies that he's given us. The value of a container is determined by what it contains. Um, If you stole my wallet and then you took everything out of it and gave it back to me and said you were going to keep my wallet, I'd probably say, go ahead, that's fine. I don't really care about my wallet. It's what's in my wallet that makes it special. And so if the Spirit of God is in His temple, then your body is special because of who owns it. You see, a lot of the excuses or the, the arguments on the lines, well, yeah, but hey, I'm my own person. I mean, it's my body. What does it matter to other people? Or what does it matter to you, preacher? I don't care. Well, friends, if you're a Christ follower, it's changed now. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ on a cross, death, resurrection, and you've invited his life to come within you. You are not your own, and thank goodness you're not. Because left unto yourself, left up to myself, we're not worth all that much. But if God dwells within me, if his spirit is within me, then my container is pretty precious. Because of who owns my container. Big difference. And you're sort of shifting your need to understand that there is a sacred image barrier bearer aspect to your life. For who owns something determines its worth. I was uh, reading this last week that a few years ago, and I'm not a guitar guy, I'm not a music guy, I mean you People all know that. I just have to bounce around all the guitar stuff that's up here when I'm talking. But uh, there was a 2014 uh, Fender Stratocaster that maybe was worth 1800 bucks, But in 2016, it was put out to auction, and it ended up fetching $45,000. Had scratches on it, used that kind of thing. Why would an $1,800 guitar fetch $45,000 is because inscribed on it was a name, Eric Clapton. And he later would say, yes, I did actually use that guitar. Because he used the guitar, because it was his guitar at one time, the value and worth went way up. Do not look down on your worth. Even if you've come through some broken, discarded, Sexual immorality things, whether of your own doing or, or perpetrated on by other people, you are valuable. Understand your image bearer. You are containing the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when you go into these freelance kinds of uh, uh, immoral situations, you're like, wait a second, what are you doing bringing Jesus into this kind of activity? This is not right. You need to have some guardrails because that's not where God wants you to go. And it's not that he's out to kill you. He wants you to experience the beauty of where he intended for it to be. And you may very well doubt the scriptures, doubt God's word that, yeah, I know. But, you know, there's a lot of enjoyment in serial monogamy and some other things that I just sort of participate in. I wouldn't tell people I do that, but, you know, that's fine if you want to believe that. But I tell you what, there's, um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will. There's an awful lot of arrogance in that kind of attitude. You didn't create you. You didn't create sex. You didn't create sexual intimacy as God intended for it to be. So who are you to define what those boundary lines are in a culture that's awash of having any type of not only guardrails, it has no type of barriers related to what sexual sin is or is not all. Is or is not at all. And we need to be restored to an understanding that we are not our own. We are not our own. God has a plan and a purpose for us in this area. And we need to be mindful. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And that price was what Christ did for you. 
therefore. Therefore. Therefore, because there's great harm in sexual immorality, therefore, because you contain the very presence of God as a believer in your own bodies, and you're precious to Him. Therefore, because there's an incredible understanding of what intimacy can be in a lifelong covenant relationship. Therefore, Paul says this, honor God with your bodies. That is the New Testament exhortation. Guideline, more than that. That's the New Testament truth for a sexual ethic for our world today and for your world and for mine if we're Christ followers. Now, if we're not Christ followers, I've mentioned, that's going to like, really? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm not here to ex- exhort that in one sense. But when you cross that line of faith and you desire to please God, you need to know what the standard is in the New Testament. That you honor God with your bodies. So, I want to move to some practical thoughts on this, right? Like, great, great, amen, amen. How does this play its way out related to guardrails? Because remember, guardrails are just sort of personal rules and guidelines that sort of lighten up the conscience. (laughs) In fact, uh, I was thinking about it this week. I, I don't know. You know, I talked about guardrails, and then I talked about painted lines. But somewhere between a guardrail and a painted line is a rumble strip. Do you like rumble strips? I don't. I despise them. But they are extremely helpful. What does a rumble strip do? It wakes you up. Well, there's a guardrail here. You need to be over in the center more. All right? And so maybe these are rumble strip kind of ideas for you. And you may not agree with what I'm about to say in some of the rumble strips or guardrails, but uh, you need to walk out of here and sit down and think through this yourself, especially if you're a single person. If you're married, maybe to talk through with your spouse, and we'll say something out in a second. But there's one passage that I used early on in my life, and it's been very helpful to me, and I can't say it's always been easy. And it comes out of the book of Job. If you remember, Job was a person who had an awful lot of wealth. And Satan went to God and said, hey, he's only following you because of your wealth. And, and God says, well, take away whatever you wish. Don't kill him, that kind of thing. And so this happened to him, and he lost tons of stuff. He lost family members. He was in a whole different predicament a short time after being on the top of the world. And when he's in the mud hole, pouting and complaining, he's crying out to God. And he's saying, God, did I not do this? Did I not do this? Trying to declare to God, I was faithful, this and that. And he had no idea of what was happening behind the scenes. And so there's this passage in Job 31, 1, it says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Now, where am I going with this? That's pretty hard to do, right? Well, you know when the look starts to become lustful. And you know when you probably ought to redirect your look. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I had one individual encourage me early on. He says, when you're talking to a female, uh, look at their eyes or look at their toes. Guys looking women up and down, right? Checking them out. There's nothing wrong with that. So the culture says. But where's that leading? What are you doing now? That may seem like a, a, a really strange guideline to you, but it's an important guideline if you are struggling with it that you look appropriately. Or say you're driving down the road and like, wow, there's, there's some uh, nice looking uh, ladies, whatever it may be, and you as a guy know that you're, like we talked about last week, you're sort of, you know, one of these cavemen and you need to sort of redirect your thoughts, eyes left. In fact, I remember a band telling me that, that they would be in cars and in their van traveling from one place to another and to help give exhortation and encouragement, eyes left. What that meant was keep your eyes from 
looking up and down on the right. Now you may say, that's, isn't that sort of like, I understand it's demeaning maybe to a female that you would be checking them out physically, but isn't that also disregarding God's beauty and other things? Uh, can be true. And any of these guidelines are not for the diminishing of the worth and the value of a female person. But you need to establish guardrails and guidelines that keep you protected. Maybe it has to do with some of the media. Maybe it has to do with the movies you watch or other kinds of things. What are the guardrails you're going to place in line to be able to flee from sexual immorality? Here's a few as it relates to your marriage. Again, guardrails. You need to talk about it in your marriage. Say, you know, hey, there's, a, there's this aspect of what's appropriate, what's not. We talked about the Billy Graham rule last week, which was in the 60s. Billy Graham said that he would not um, uh, eat privately with, travel with, uh, meet with um, a female other than his wife or a family member, all right? For his own protection, it's like, well, that really seems strange. And again, that could be the kind of thing, doesn't that, you know, uh, keep a woman from being able to uh, have a sense of self-worth and, and makes them look like predators? No, they're not the predators. It, guys are the predators kind of idea, right? So, you know, I'm trying to, to, to get us there. You're needing to understand that guide rails are not for diminishing the value and worth of someone else. Something like the Billy Graham rule would definitely not be good if it was for the purpose of keeping women oppressed or keeping them from being able to excel professionally or otherwise. But Billy Graham had that rule, and many people have that rule. I will not meet with somebody privately or a woman privately, individually, without um, someone else present. And Sometimes that's not possible to understand. Maybe the relationship you have with your boss, maybe it's in the work environment that you particularly have. Well, if that's the case, then, and then the second one here might be helpful. I think if I can get it. Whoop. I lost myself. Wow, how did I get there? You see where I'm at? Thank you. Tell them about it. Tell your spouse about it. Well, today I ended up having lunch with so-and-so. Because things that are kept in secret can sort of grow bigger than they are. And if you're having a trouble talking about it, then that's sort of a clue. There's a guardrail issue there. It's like, well, why am I hesitant to tell my spouse about it? Are you having emotional interest in somebody? Tell somebody about it. You can't tell your spouse, tell someone else. Because sometimes when you verbalize someone or you emit something, it sort of defangs it, it sort of neutralizes it. It takes out the tenacity that you have uh, propelled to do that. Do you know that every physical affair, I believe this to be true, somebody can prove me wrong, I guess, but every physical affair had an emotional affair before it. They said I looked good. They really affirmed my worth today. You have a choice when you walk into the office to go right or left. It's the same route to get to your place, but the guy's on the right, and so you're like, I'm always going to go right. He always says something nice to me, something affirming. Hello. Be mindful of those people who are problematic in your life. Who are the people that are problematic? You know who the people are that are problematic. If you're honest with yourself... It's like, nope, I don't need that from them. I need to go to where God's called me to go, back into my marriage or to wait in my marriage and have healthy dating and courtship kind of environments. You need to establish some type of guardrails and whether it's looking with your eyes at a woman or a man in appropriate places, whether it's keeping eyes steered away from those things that you shouldn't be drifting towards in media and otherwise, whether it's needing to sit and talk with your spouse about it or tell them if some activity happened that you just, you know, when we had dinner together, that was fine because we were working on this project 
or whether it's telling somebody about some emotional enticement that you're starting to have interest in. You need to establish these are guardrails. Guardrails are consciousness type of decisions, personal decisions that keep you clear. Because I tell you, nobody will ever regret a guardrail established in the area of sexual immorality in their life. But many people, you, if you don't have the guardrails, you will regret it. Give yourself a few years. You will regret it. Oh, I can't believe that I did that. And that whole thing of moral authority, speaking into the lives of other people, it's really valuable and important. Even if we've made mistakes and we've repented to God and we've come back to Him and asked Him to change and make us new people. So, point of a guardrail is to light up our consciousness before we hurt others and ourselves. Is it extreme? Well, it may be. You may be walking out of here today and go, maybe the pastor shouldn't talk on that subject again. But as I sit back and I watch the world and I see patterns that can happen in my own life, I spent this week I end up going down the road and reading some stories of some very prominent, prominent pastors who have in recent years fallen sexually. And it scares me to death. Why? Because I'm having struggles in this area? No. But I know David fell at his peak. And I need to make sure I have guardrails and be mindful of the adversary who would seek to bring destruction. And some of the falling morally of some of the Christian leaders today is leading to places that are bringing brokenness to the whole kingdom of God. Lord, but by your grace, help me. May I walk with appropriate guardrails to enjoy the beauty of intimacy as you've called it to be in the confines of marriage to be able to uphold the self-worth of the container of you dwelling within me and to stay clear from all the brokenness that comes from sexual sin. Therefore, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit whom God dwells within you? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Extreme dangerous environments call for extreme measures and I'm stunned at the dangerous environment I just see building and building and building in our culture. I went and read a few articles this week of prominent uh, popular magazines related to sexuality and the guidelines or lack thereof stunning. Stunning. Where are you hearing somebody speak into your life on this subject? A lot of times it's not going to happen with your friends. In fact, your friends, even family sometimes, encourages you to go paths that are counter to what God intends. So you can flee or you can flirt. You can flee or you can flirt. My prayer is that you flee. And that in fleeing you will be able to say to your spouse now or in the future if you're not married, I am forever yours and I'm forever yours faithfully. Faithfully forever yours. I close with this verse in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is not an anti-pleasure message. This is a message about how to find the fullness of God's pleasure as he intended in the area of our sexuality. Give it to him. Make amends. If you stepped across lines and you need to seek his forgiveness, maybe you need to pray with someone, maybe even this morning. You can do that in our prayer area off to this side. Maybe you just need to go on a private walk with the Lord. Maybe you need to sit down and write a letter to somebody because you crossed some lines in a relationship even years past and ask for forgiveness. 
The Holy Spirit will work. He can restore. In Isaiah it says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as virgin wool through Jesus Christ. And he can. Even though it's something that we sin with our own body above all other kinds of sins, God can restore purity and wholeness and beauty wherever you're at in your relationship, whether married or not married. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. His life poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Joe's going to come and close us in a song, and with this song we're going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and your connect cards. I want to encourage you to not hesitate to pray with someone if needed or even mention on your Connect card that you want to be able to pray with someone or interest in some of your own spiritual growth. I know this was a heavy one today. But I could not steer clear from being straightforward about it. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I really don't know how these words set with people. That's ultimately not my responsibility, but it's yours. Lord, I know in this room that there's some people that are very broken because of sexual sin. Lord Jesus, may they find healing in you. In this room are individuals who are skirting with the temptation of sin in this area. They're flirting with it. And you've brought conviction this hour, and I thank you for that. Lord, may they be led by your spirit and not by my words. Only by the words that I said that are from you. Lord, in this very room are people who hope to one day experience their sexuality with an individual that you have aligned for them in life to have a lifelong covenant relationship with. And they're trying their best to be patient and persevere. Lord, may you strengthen them with the guidelines and the decisions they've made to honor you with their bodies. Even when not affirmed by the world or maybe even affirmed by the person they're dating. Lord, may you strengthen them. Lord, in this room are individuals who think they're fine. That they don't need any guidelines or guardrails in this area. The Lord around the corner is a temptation that's going to hit them so strong that they won't know what to do. I pray, God, that you would quicken their spirit to their need. To not hug the guardrail, but to hug the center line of you. The pathway of drawing close to you. That they would find joy in your presence. Eternal pleasures forevermore. That they would realize that it's not about skirting with the edges what may be okay to get by with. But Lord, may they hug close to the center line of your heart. And so Lord, across this room, and not only in our relationships, but the families that are represented here, the friends that are related here, Lord, may we be able to uphold and give encouragement biblically to others. May we find ourselves honoring you for you dwell within us. We are your temples. Lord, may we honor you with our physical bodies. In your name, God's people said, amen.